Hello and welcome to the Bulwark's Next Level Sunday Show. I'm your host, Tim Miller. This week, we're playing my interview with Walter Isaacson, live from New Orleans. He's a hometown boy. We talked about his Elon Musk book, but he's talked a lot about his Elon Musk book, let's be honest. So I I gave him the business a little bit about the ways in which... You know, some have thought he was a little uh, a little too kind, maybe, to his subject in this case. I think you can judge that for yourself. He has a lot of criticisms of Elon, and I think he rightly points out a lot of the positives that we all thought about Elon before he took over X and became an insane person tweeting weird conspiracy theories about Nancy Pelosi's husband's gay lover. So that part of the conversation at the start, but then we have a really interesting broader conversation about what media institutions are supposed to do in the age of Trump. He ran Time Magazine, CNN, and the Aspen Institute. So he's, you know, had to make a lot of these decisions. And so I really enjoyed that part of the conversation. So check it out. If you want your politics fix, I was on over on the Bulwark flagship podcast on Friday with Charlie Sykes. If you haven't listened to it yet, we have a blast. We talk about Steve Bannon's come retribution, which um, is a pretty grody mental image for the weekend. But, uh, you know, we have, to give, <laughs> we have to give you all the news that you need, even if you don't want it. And that's what we did on the Bulwark podcast. So enjoy this conversation with Walter Isaacson. I'll be back with Sarah and JVL on Wednesday. But first, our friends at Acid Tongue. Peace. Louisiana, not too bad, right? Pretty good. French Quarter. How many locals we got here tonight? We got some locals. About half. Who flew in? Yay! Hello, hello. Happy now. That's so great. Thank you for welcoming me to New Orleans, locals. Y'all have been so sweet. This is such a great place. I, I'm about to introduce, I, th- I think, the king of New Orleans that we have with us. You might have heard of him. He wrote a couple books. He wrote one about Steve Jobs. He wrote another one about another guy. I don't like as much, but we'll talk about that. Uh, and I think you went to Newman High School, somewhere like that. We have any Newman people here? I knew we'd have a lot of Newman people here. Do we have any McGee people here? Anybody? McGee girls? All right, a couple. I love that. My daughter's a McGee. All right, are we ready for this? Walter? Let's do it. Walter Isaacson. Oh, yeah. I'm glad to know. That the Newman School gets the most The applause. Newman School yeah. crushing it out there. I know, you really, knew. really. Yeah. Newman kids, enough. Our, well, all the Mannings. And... Yeah, now that they've had three Mannings, me and Michael Lewis were in the agate type <laughs> under, also went to Newman. Yeah, yeah that's a positive. That's a positive. <laughs> um, okay, well, let's earn a start. Let's do a little New Orleans talk for one second, if you don't mind. All right. We had where a, you at? We had some, where you at? Um, yeah, you're right. Um, we had a couple people in town from out of town. Uh, I know you and your wife go to Galatoire's uh, once a week, you said? Yeah, we were there tonight. Okay. Well, let's, date night. All right, so let's put Galatoire's aside. Give them one meal to have while they're in town before they fly back out. But not Galatoire's. But not Galatoire's. One other one. We're going to grant Galatoire's. Can I do two? Yeah, two. Great. <laughs> if you want a nice, wonderful place, go to Herb Saint. Oh, so Yeah, good. I'm in to have the gumbo. And if you like garlic and adventure, go to Mosca's. Mosca's. People like Mosca's. I don't know. I'm kind of, All right, I, I applause like little... for Herb Saint. 
Uh, all right, applause from Oscars. Oscars, all right. I'm more of a Lyuza's man, you know? By the tracks. By the tracks. Do you, do you go to the tracks? By the tracks. And now, I go to the jazz fest. I'm not a horse man. But, Why not? Uh, I don't know. I mean, uh, it seems okay. I like gambling, but I don't really like yeah. the horses. Well, you, you do horse race coverage of the politics. <laughs> I do do horse race coverage of politics. We'll do a little bit of that. You ought to go to the track. It's actually nice. Okay. That's on my list. I, I'm, I'm, taking other I'm taking other suggestions from all the, all the yeah. locals. I have, a, I have a Google spreadsheet of all the places I need to go now that I live here, and it's getting longer and longer. By the, but like each place I go, I add two more. So it's been nice. Um, we have some other Louisiana news. Uh, we have a speaker of the house from Louisiana. Yeah. <laughs> it's really interesting because you have two LSU people who are going to, I mean, because Scalise oh, will no. be as you've said, uh, the most powerful majority leader, and basically have to mentor uh, Mike Johnson, who's a young or yeah. <laughs> The pool boy became the master. Yeah, you know, yeah, case. exactly. So, uh, well, I, I'm, I'm more of an Angel I'm... Reese man when I'm like looking at my LSU folks than a Steve Scalise man, but that's okay. Well, those of us from Tulane have an <laughs> inordinate fear of LSU people running the country. Uh, that's fair. Well, uh, as, as a transplant, I don't feel like I have the right well, to say Carville that. is coming to have equal time <laughs> for LSU. We will. We will have equal time. Um, as a transplant, I don't feel like I have the right to do this, but I was hoping you might. So, so the new speaker's from Shreveport. And I was just thinking, maybe we should just give North Louisiana to Arkansas. Is that okay? Might, might Mike Johnson be a better... Like Mike Johnson from Arkansas sounds a lot better. There's a wonderful LBJ line in the Caro book okay. about Shreveport, right. basically, which is, he said, thank God it's not part of Texas, because that would make Texas even worse. But um, on a more serious note, which you don't want to be, it's really astonishing how this country has divided into cities like Austin or New yeah. Orleans, or Houston, all of which I think were 90% for Biden in yeah. the election and 10% for Trump. And then you're in a state that's it's totally flipped. Yeah, we're gonna talk to Carville about the governor's race here. I'm gonna leave you off the hook on that one. Because um, uh, I wanna talk about somebody about as unappealing as Jeff Landry, which is your book subject. <laughs> oh, Elon Musk. Jennifer Dalman. Oh, no, no, Elon Musk. Well, let's do, I, I just, you've done a lot of Elon interviews, and uh, mm -hmm. I've listened to most of them. And uh, Kara Swisher gave you the business. So yeah, if, you want, if you want somebody to give Walter the business mm -hmm. on Elon, just go listen mm -hmm. to Kara Swisher. We're, we're having fun. We're, mm -hmm. we're going to have some cocktails. It's not what I want to do. But, um, I'm going to ask you Joe Scarborough a question really quick, which is yeah. I'm, going to, I'm going to vamp for about two minutes and then you get to oh, respond. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, I, so here's the thing. I suffer terrible people a lot for the Bulwark audience. I'm happy to do it. I spend a lot of time watching Candace Owens and Steve Bannon's podcast yeah. and just kind of hanging out in the fever swamps, making sure I know what's happening over there. And despite that, my main question for you is, like... Spending two years with Elon Musk makes me want to like rip off my toenails. And so I just like, what was it like? Like, why did you do it? Well, I will tell When I started this book uh, about three years ago, he was, I think, the most popular person in the polls up yep. there with Oprah. He is person of the year at Time, person of the year at Financial Times. 
He had just done something astonishing, which has gotten Americans into orbit, yeah. which NASA could no longer do, and we landed rockets and reused them. And he had made a million uh, electric vehicles when Ford and GM had gotten out of the EV business. Yeah. So he was bringing us into the era of space travel, bringing us into the era of electric vehicles, into solar roofs, battery packs, and rebuilding the internet in low Earth orbit. It was an amazing technological feat. Still, no country, no company has been able to shoot rockets and things in orbit and land them again and quickly reuse them. So he's reinventing how we do things. Had he not gotten involved in Twitter, <laughs> he would, and by, in two ways. First of all, by tweeting, because he has all these impulsive, weird yeah. things that he thinks. But as we were saying backstage, a lot of billionaires have really dumb ideas. It's just that no they kidding. don't have a platform. Um, so had he not been tweeting out his weird theories and then buying Twitter, he would still be fine. And I think we're not very good in this day and age at holding two or three things in our mind. Yeah. That somebody could be absolutely awesome and do things that nobody else can do in terms of technology and building things, manufacturing things in the United States, but also be totally crazed and somewhat conspiratorial and weird when you buy Twitter. And I think we have to be able not to cast everybody as either a saint or a sinner. Yeah. Shakespeare teaches us at the end of the play that nobody ever reads, measure for measure, that even the best are molded out of fault. Did you read that at Newman? No, <laughs> no, nobody reads measure. Measure for measure, I don't know what he was thinking because you try to get it. But anyway, if you get to the end, it's the best are molded out of their faults and we can keep in our minds. Yeah. Uh, and with Musk personally, he, he has multiple personalities and almost multiple personality disorder. His father was a Jekyll and Hyde. He, yeah. And Musk is bipolar, talks about being so. And so he will shift from being a really funny or charming or a deeply scientific you know, drilling down on exactly what material you should use for a valve in the Raptor engine. And then Grimes, his girlfriend, will say, he goes into demon mode. Something will click him, just like his father. His father made, used to make Elon stand in front of him while his father would say how useless he is, how stupid he is, how he deserved to be beaten up. You know, Musk had no friends as a kid. He was a very, um, he talks about having Asperger's, but he was really along Maybe just unlikable. <laughs> what? Maybe he was just an unlikable kid. Well. <laughs> I'm going to say, are we on the record here totally or No, we're at the, uh, the Lepetite Theater. Well, I actually won't uh, use the name. But somebody you've actually mentioned two or three times, I've been on, and people say, I've got a kid with autism or Asperger's. Yeah, sure. And when I went to the baseball games with him, I put my arm, yeah, I know who you're yeah. you know who I'm talking about. And, uh, or, but Andrew Yang did it about a couple of weeks ago and put it on yeah. his podcast, says, I've got a kid. And we cut as... Grimes says a lot of slack to people who are manic depressive or schizophrenic, but when you have a deep, bad wiring on emotional input, output, we just say you're an asshole. Yeah. And he is. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but it's a complex thing to get your head around. Yeah. 
Assholes are just so hard is part of the problem. Like, who wants to hang out with a fucking asshole all the time? Well, you know, you have to, you could, after a year or so, I could tell when demon mode, it was like living here, you can tell when a storm's gonna come off the Gulf of Mexico, you feel it in the air. And I could tell when demon mode was about to come on. And it's partly, his mother said, the danger for Elon is that he becomes his father. And his father, even though he doesn't speak to his father, and his father doesn't even have his email, his father has that same conspiratorial, yeah. you know, vaccines are bad. Or so you're saying one of the, and I was asking folks what they wanted to know about him that's not already known since he like tweets his thoughts. Has he changed? Like did t- this Twitter and like this resentment that he has like fundamentally change him? Or is it just kind of like exposed what was behind the no, scenes? He, about three years ago, went through a transformation politically that I takes uh, two chapters in the book, so I'll try to do it real fast here. But certain things happened. Yeah. First of all, a lot of Democrats started to attack him. From a, he paid more tax the year three years ago when this was happening than anybody's ever paid to any entity I mean, ever. He's got a lot he of free lot money, money from the government. A lot yeah. of free money. Nobody's, nobody's, well. nobody's giving the bulwark any money. Like, <laughs> I'll, t- I'll, take a, I'll take some, we'll take some tax credits, okay? Tax credits for the EVs, yeah. but he did not take cost plus contracts on SpaceX. That's true. No, no subsidies there. So he, but he gets attacked by Elizabeth Warren, yeah, a lot sure. of assembly women in California. Women. Yeah, well, there were two or three in particular that uh, went after him. And he had some, there are other things that happened, but there's something very personal that happened, which fits into the mindset we have now, is of his five surviving eldest children, his eldest was named after his favorite character in the X-Man comics, love the letter X, Xavier. And at one point, There's a message, um, I'm transitioning, and my name is now Jenna, but don't tell my father. And this is about three years ago when Jenna transitions. And Musk gets his head around it, but she becomes extraordinarily outspoken uh, as a anti-capitalist, evil, if you have money. Changes her last name, refuses to speak to uh, her father. And he says, other than the death of his first child, that was the biggest blow of his life. And he became just overwrought at what he felt was the mindset that had produced that. So, in short, what you're saying is that his child changed her name from his favorite X-Men character, (laughs) and that's why we're all going through the torment (laughs) that we're going through right now. Well, there are many other reasons, but yes. Man, it's a weird world we're in. There's one thing we have to talk about, though, and it's it's an area where I kind of actually am more on your, I I see the two sides of it in a more more nuanced way. But But it starts with something that happened about 10 blocks from my new house at the football game. So for folks who haven't heard, I want you to the tell Yeoman the story. Of, no, oh, uh, you mean the Newman At the Stadium. Newman game, when you get a phone call. It was call. one of Arch's last games. Yeah, you yeah. get a phone call from Elon. Well, you know, when Russia invades Ukraine, yeah. uh, they immediately knock out all communications for Ukraine, yeah. including with the troops. And Viasat, the military satellites, all get knocked out. The only satellites that still work 
are SpaceX's Starlink. Right. And you have to say, well, how did Musk get so much power? Well, he made these satellites. He's got 5,000 of them that, you know, Bezos has shot up too. So we're, <laughs> you can see, uh, and um, the NASA cannot get communication satellites in the high Earth orbit. They have to contract with SpaceX to do it. So he's gained this power partly legitimately, and he plays superhero. I mean, he's got this Captain Underpants quality. So when this <laughs> happens, um, Fedorov and others, the vice minister in Ukraine, say, we're going to get crushed because we don't have communication. And he sends over all these starlings, 100 the first night, 1,000 the next day, and gives them for free, and Ukraine's able to withstand the invasion. Then flash forward to September, I had, find, I had been with Musk quite a while, and you say it's kind of grueling. Yeah. So I'm back home watching Newman play football, and text me, you know, uh, it's Musk. And they were using, the Ukrainians were doing a sneak attack on the Russian fleet in Crimea. And it would be like a Pearl Harbor sneak attack using Starlink. It was drone submarines yeah. connected to Starlink. Well, not exactly like Pearl Harbor because yeah. Ukraine was defending themselves. Right, well, right. They no, were no, attacking. I'm not trying to no, no, put I'm, the Ukrainians I'm just, I'm just, in the yeah, yeah, It's not I'm exactly like it, it was a sneak attack a in the sense. A sneak attack of a fleet in yeah. a harbor. Yeah, right. Um, okay, and, it, was, it was somewhere in that sense. Yeah. And um, he said, I, I don't think this is going to be good. I mean, that there's going to be a nuclear retaliation. Who knows yeah. what? And I'm very Socratic. I don't give the guy advice. Yeah. I just said, hey, have you talked to General Milley? And have you talked to... Jake Sullivan. And he does start talking to them. But what he does that night is they had geofenced it. I'd gotten it a little oversimplified in the book, but there's a geofence that's movable. And he, the Ukrainians don't know this, but he decides not to allow Starlink to work on yeah. the Crimean coast, up to 100 kilometers. And that means the attack fails, all the drones go. And that's way too much power for a person to have, and even he was saying so to me. He said, we created Starlink so people could watch Netflix movies and chill and play video games. Why are we in this war? And he decides then, after talking to Milley, to sell and give the US government the right to use a certain number of the Starlinks. So as you're seeing, they're now, they're now attacks in Crimea that are being done, but it's not up to him to decide it. He allowed the military to. Yeah, I mean, the, like my response when I was reading your story about this was first, like, this is fucking insane that this is happening. Mm -hmm. Like, you're sitting there with our buddy J Mart at the football game, and like yeah, Elon's right. calling you, and he's like, I'm trying like, to save us from World Jonathan War III. Jonathan Martin is like tweet. No, well, he didn't know who I was on the phone yes. with or whatever, but he has tweets of us with poor Archie Manning, the yeah. grandfather, like photobombing us in the back. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It's like such a weird world situation to be in. But I, when I read that story, I, on the one hand, I feel like, I, obviously, I totally agree, disagree with Elon's judgment. Like we should, we should not be limiting Ukraine's ability to defend itself in any way. But like that said, 
it is madness that like this that the government has got themselves in this situation where this guy has the power and they have unlimited resources we have nasa like uh, this has not been an area where there have been like draconian government cuts or whatever. It's it, it's like this is a massive. This is where my old Republican comes in place. It's a massive failure of the government to right. ha, to have let that Elon happen and to be be in that situation and to not have dealt with 100%. it before. hundred percent. Yeah. And now you're getting your head around the complexities of a Musk book. It's not yeah, just right. some idiot who tweets. It's how come he's able when Boeing can't, Northrop Grumman can't. The Defense right. Intelligence Agency can't, NASA can't get a satellite orbiting system. And I have chapters that people haven't read probably carefully, but how did he make Starlink work? Why was he able to keep it so compact? Yeah. How did he get the antenna integrated? All these things that we used to be able to do in the United States. I say we, meaning the yeah. US. Uh, we used to be able, 50 years ago, we got people to the moon. And then we stopped, and we haven't gone back to the moon. You know, we used to have a space shuttle that got people, and, and satellites in orbit, we got people to the space station, and then NASA grounded it. Yeah. So how come we've become so paralyzed in terms of what NASA and the government and even Boeing can do? Boeing can't even get an airplane, much less a satellite up. And, uh, <laughs> and it's not a pretty sight how he does it. I mean, he takes far too many risks. He believes that we used to be a nation of risk takers, whether you came on the Mayflower or came across the Rio Grande, but now we're a nation with more regulators and risk takers and more referees and guardrail builders. And so that's what the book tries to capture and then tries to capture the complex thing, which is, do you have to be a bit crazy, or do you even have to be an asshole a bit in order not to be Boeing or NASA? What do you think? I think it's not a price you should pay. Yeah. But, no, I think the reason you have bureaucracies that can't get rockets into orbit or Americans into space, or into why GM and Ford can't even make a charging stations across America, right. they end up having, why they can't make electric vehicles. Um, I think, and he's like Steve Jobs. Steve Jobs was that way too. I do, do not think you want to pay the price to be like him, but I do think it's useful to know how he did it. Did you, I'm sorry, I lied, I have one more. Did you ever watch Grimes Spaghetti video? Uh, yes. It's right so right. good, it's yes. so good. It's my favorite video of all time. My last thing on the, on, uh, the uh, Twitter thing I is... I remember you, um, when I met you... As soon as I first met Austin, you, I was Texas, like, have you, you watched the spaghetti video? You were me about Grimes. And I I'm love like, Grimes. And she's in Austin. Like, I love I Grimes. should just tell her, her, her to come meet her biggest you, fan. Yeah, you should. Her, I would be totally fangirling right now if I saw Grimes. Her yeah. music is amazing. What she sees in Elon is deeply concerning. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I love Grimes. Um, the, the anti-Semitism, I think, um, is the last thing on this, and then I want to talk about your other life. Um, but we're seeing a lot of this on the left right now, and I think we're going to talk about that a little bit maybe in the next panel. Mm -hmm. But, man, on his platform, like, the anti-Semitism is, like, is off the charts right now. And, like, what you're seeing and the lack of guardrails. So I understand this. We, you know, we, we might... Uh, look, I'm sympathetic to the notion that we have too much red tape. We have too many guardrail builders. We're, not, mm -hmm. we're hampering entrepreneurs. This was why I was a Republican in the first place. But, like... 
we need some guardrails, right? And this notion that a crazy person is like, yeah, let's let people, you know, like tweet about, you know, kikes and like, you know, have, have all these insane, you know, uh, reply posters talking about, fit, you know, fake news about Israel and these people, uh, you know, building well, this guy Jackson Hinkle who's gaining a huge following and he's monetizing his following right now, tweeting all, know, you know, yeah. tweet, he's monetizing, like Elon's paying him to tweet fake anti-Semitic news about Israel. Mm. Like, is there, like, does any of that, like, break through? It's just like, hey, you know, we have to have some I remember in April of last year when he was secretly buying up Twitter shares and was thinking of going hostile, and we were at Giga Texas, the, this biggest yeah. factory ever made, and it was about to open. And he was saying he was going to do it, and Ken Howery, you may know of, a, a few of the libertarian tech yeah, sure. crowd, and his... Uh, Elon's son, and he's saying, Elon's saying, we need more free speech. We need to open up the aperture. We shouldn't be censoring, yeah. you know, Jay Patachera, who does the Barrington Doctrine against the lockdowns, or... Jay Patachera's fine. I mean, it's not like he has trouble getting his message out, but okay. Right, but he had been censored off Twitter. Okay. Yeah. And probably, a lot of platforms out there, though. It's not like right, the old days, where if you're not, not on the network I don't news. write a book about yeah. him, but I'm just saying he felt... And he kept saying, "More free. we have to open the aperture yeah. to more free speech. And I tend to be in favor of free speech, but I often sure. think about it. Like, why are we in favor of free speech? So I asked him that, because he hadn't really thought of it. He's not, he's a really good engineer, but he doesn't have, yeah. as somebody who has no input, output on emotional human things, he's not good at, you know. So I said, why is free speech good? And I think he was a bit taken aback. And he said, well, the more free speech you have, the more likely you're to get to the truth, which is not an, I mean, Brandeis said that, many others did, yeah. but I'm not sure the internet has proven that right. <laughs> In other words, I'm not sure that's why you need yeah. free speech. It doesn't necessarily get you to the truth. Um, and then, and so we talked about, I mean, I believe we want free speech because every person has autonomy and should be given as, but it's not because it's gonna make democracy yeah. stronger, it's almost been proven not to. So I think he got in in a way that all of social media is now a toxic stew and probably very harmful to democracy. Yeah. Um, we could do like a whole hour on the free speech thing, but I, I want to, like the thing that I've been dying to ask you I, about. I have no answer on free speech. I haven't I figured that out. I know. Um, I mean, look, I'm pro free speech too. I, my, my rant on this is just that like, there's this whole cottage industry of Elon and all his friends who are like, like free speech is in threat, and my view is like that's not that's actually not true. We're in the golden era of free speech. If you are a crank who has insane views right now, yeah. you have opportunities to speak on YouTube and TikTok and Twitter. You can get paid now by Twitter to speak. Back in the old days, it times people would be have a bullhorn on the street, or would be writing the crazy when letters to the editor of the Times Picayune, that you'd be like, I'll never print that. Those people are James famous will now. Remember this? When I was very young at the Picayune, I covered David Duke. Back yeah. in the past. And I remember in the fringes of rallies, yeah. you know, there would be, he would be there and he'd had mimeograph sheets that right. he would hand out. Yeah. And I said, okay, they're racist, horrible nuts in this world, but the problem with social media is that instead of these people having to mimeograph things, instead, you know, they can get hundreds of yeah. thousands of followers. Yeah. We're in the golden age. And I mean, I, I am, I want to go on the record yeah. and say this, 
very much in favor of free speech. Same. But I think we have to think through yeah. that it's an individual autonomy, liberty issue. I'm, yeah, no, I'm for free speech too. I'm just saying that, that being demonetized from a social, a one social media app in a world where you have unlimited social media apps is not really a threat to free speech, actually. And like free speech is doing quite well. Anyway, the thing I'm dying to get your opinion on. So, because I just think this is such a hard question. So we're going to get serious. We have like eight minutes of serious, and then, uh -oh. and then Sunny Bunch will come out, and then we'll just do fun stuff. Um, uh, is this just very deep question uh, about, in the post-Trump era, how like institutions can protect themselves from just bad actors, liars, grifters, racists, right? And so you were head of like all of these just revered institutions, the Aspen Institute, CNN, Time, right? And all of these places, you like tried, I think, I think I'm speaking for you, but I think it's true, tried to get people from all perspectives, right? I right. might not agree with what your opinion are on tax rates or regular, but we want everybody here and we can hash it out and we can discuss and you're, you know, we'll interview people for Time or we'll interview people on CNN, we'll invite people to Aspen. Like, that felt a lot easier in the 90s, like when there was not that, you know, when the difference between the Bob Dole and the Clinton people was pretty, was pretty minor in the grand scheme of things. Yeah, and now, then where you could have to, you worked for McCain or Romney? Yeah, I worked for both. Both, yeah. McCain, yeah. Yeah, and you could have an election with McCain or Romney, uh, uh, you know, whether it be Clinton or then Obama, and say, okay, we're well within the guardrails. Yeah, sure. So now, I want you to pretend like you're back in one of those jobs. Like, what do you do with these MAGA people? Like, does, does Mike Johnson get invited to Aspen? <laughs> does Lauren Boebert get invited to Aspen? Like, they, they matter to Steve Bannon, right? Like, Steve, Steve Bannon should maybe be in jail, but uh, his, his podcast has more influence than, 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 no offense to some of art, than some of us. Even more than the ball works. Right, yeah, yeah, it does. I'm sorry, it's just reality, mm -hmm. right? I, I wish it wasn't true, but I love being invited as the token former Republican <laughs> to speak on the Aspen <laughs> panel. It could be like me and Michelle Goldberg and yeah. a bunch of lefties, and <laughs> we could talk, and I'm, but, but that's safe, right? It's like, it doesn't, like, we're all kind of on the same team now. Like, the question is, how do you deal with the people on the other team, the team that try to coup? The team that like wants yeah. to criminalize. I mean, when I was at Aspen, that became a problem. Which is, you know, where do you draw? Where is it beyond the pale? To use it literally, right. the way yeah. they used to use it in Europe in a century ago. And there was a line. I'm going to say. I'm going to think this through out loud, which yeah, is a dangerous it. thing. <laughs> you and I, and most people we know, we're totally in the guardrails. And yes, a uh, a Mitt Romney could be, you know, friends with uh, Joe Biden sure. and everything else. I think we, meaning the Aspen Time Magazine crowd, did not fully appreciate how there were so many people who felt they were being left out and screwed by that swampy, uh, guardrailed system, and we missed it. Uh, I remember driving with Kathy in 2016 or whatever, uh, 2015, and just seeing Trump, Trump, Trump signs all over, even upstate New York, and saying, okay, there's something happening with those of us who are part of what I would call the Aspen consensus, sure. have totally lost touch with the r real and understandable resentment of people for whom globalization, free trade, immigration 
were not a great boon, but had uh, left them behind or screwed them. I agree with that. I, I to- and I wrote about this. I, like, I think I go back to the RNC autopsy, and I think that we just totally whiffed on like some g- legitimate. And it's partly because we were in a circumscribed speech world in which things were beyond the okay. boundaries. So here's where the question gets hard. I, I think that's. I that agree. was a pretty hard. I, that one. was hard, but I agree with that. But now, now the judgment call gets hard because okay. Let's, if there was a, a genuine conservative populist movement out there, it was a good faith on our Bulwark sign out there, it says good faith, right? That was like, mm-hmm. we think that, that we should have more protectionism and, and less immigration. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, we also think that we should have Medicaid for working, you know, fo- you know for fo- right? And we should uh, help mm-hmm. build more factories out here. And that's, those are the things we care about. And it's not the old free market conservative. It's a different thing. It's a populist thing then okay, great, let's invite those people to Aspen, let's have that conversation. Those people don't exist. Like, all the people that do that are the same people that do vaccines are fake, the election was fake, the, you know, all, all the, you know, um, you know, gay people are terrible, trans people are terrible, right? And so, like, how do you deal with that? How do you deal with the election-denying vaccine conspiracists? Do they get invited into, into the group because we don't want people to feel left out? No, but, I mean, we have a tent that there are a lot of people not invited in, and we're paying the price for that. Yeah, so how, but... So I mean, how, you're, you got the bulwark. This is, you were trying to create. Right. You know, coming from Louisiana, we had a tradition of populism yeah. that was oddly uh, somewhat of a left-wing. I mean, Huey Long and the Share Our Wealth populism and something happened when I was growing up, when there was Earl and Huey Longs yeah. and populists like that, uh, is George Wallace was like that until he lost, and then he decided to play the race card. And then populism in the South, but also in Pennsylvania, upstate New York, whatever, populism <laughs> got infected with racism, I think. Yeah. So I, I guess the question is, in, like, do we need new institutions? Like, how do, how do we engage with them, right? Like, that, that's what I really just don't, that's what I really just don't know. Like, and I'm worried that, and I think this ties back to the original Twitter conversation, that we get into this world where now Twitter will be this place where it's a cesspool for people to make up conspiracies, and sometimes conspiracies are right. One out of 20 times they're right. They're, kind of, they're right about the mask thing. You know what I mean? Sometimes they're right about stuff, but most of the times it's crazy, right? And then Threads or Blue Sky will have all the all the Aspen accepted people and and MSNBC and like how do, how do you how do we break break it? It would be nice to have certain institutions again, including social. I mean, I always thought somebody should create a great social media platform uh, that was reliable and probably not as anonymous and not filled with trolls. And they keep trying to do it. I mean, does Blue Sky still exist? I don't know. I don't yeah, know. yeah. And Threads. I mean, I thought Threads would crush. I go uh, on Threads. Twitter. It's nice, but it's everybody. Yeah, yeah. Everybody agrees with me until yeah, I yeah, make yeah. fun of Hamas. Yeah. Every once in a while, I get some uh, negative. Yeah, I think there's a deeper problem of the polarization, and it may even not just be in the United States. There's a populist polarization from Hungary to you know we go through. Poland just recovered slightly, but you can see it all over. And as a historian, you look back and say, they're just periods, like 1848 was a period like this, you know, the 1960s, 
It was even worse now than now in terms of polarization. And we're going through a period which I think is basically caused by a backlash against globalization, free trade, immigration, that most of us thought whether whatever you know whether we were the McCain or Clinton consensus was that all that was good and whether it's Hungary or Brexit or MAGA world or anything else we're in a backlash you know what you know what one of the influences I had on this who was right about this your buddy Michael Lewis probably his least acclaimed book is called losers it's about the 96 campaign yeah. and he went out there and he was yeah. like these Dole and Clinton people are like all the same and they are right. not actually responsive to people. And he was like, his old book was about how frustrated and how stupid this is. It was actually very influential for me in writing it. Okay, we gotta get to the real panel. Final question, um, what are we gonna do about the Saints? <laughs> They've had such a nice good run with the Drew Brees yeah. and, uh, and Sean Payton. And I, don't, I do know that after the hurricane, yeah. and when the saints finally came back, most of us in this city made our deal with the devil and deal with God or whatever. <laughs> if you just let us win this Super Bowl this one year, and we know the city's gonna come back, and when the saints won that, and you just knew we were back, it's like, we'll never ask again. <laughs> and it was a mistake. Yeah. Yeah, Walter Isaacson, thank you so much for doing that. Walter Isaacson. Oh man, I don't know. I think that his next biography should be about Joe Burrow, somebody a little less controversial. Yeah.